<laughs> Recording started. Five, four. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Athlete Hackers Podcast. My name is Chris Schrade. And I'm Mark Spellman. And today we have our second guest, one Nikki Goody Stanton, coming to us live from Norway. Norway. Yes, Norway. Nice. Welcome, Nikki. How are you? Hi, good. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you guys? We're awesome. Good. Thanks for coming on. Um, as I said, you're our second guest um, ever on the podcast. Our first was Derek Needham. Ah, yes. So you got some shoes to fill, but I'm sure you'll do a great job. Um, and uh, give us a little history about yourself, um, where you are now, how you got to Fairfield, um, so Nikki is a women's soccer player that I know, uh, I was her strength coach at Fairfield, I believe for all four years. Uh, I think I was there for five. I think you were there for three or four. Okay. Four. Yeah. Okay. Um, so give us the rundown of the background, Nikki. Um, yeah. So I grew up in Seattle, Washington and somehow ended up in college in Connecticut. <laughs> um, Still not really sure how, well, I do know how I got there. Um, but um, I was, the college whole recruiting thing was extremely stressful. And I just kind of picked up the phone call one day and was like, you know what, like, I'm too stressed out. I'm going to call and I'm going to commit to a school across the world, country, what felt like the world, um, and ended up at Fairfield. And I um, was there jump, for five jump, years. Jumping in head first. Yeah, honestly, I, I, I didn't even tell my parents for like a week. I remember calling Joe <laughs> O'Brien and being like, can I be number seven? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, cool. Cause it was so stressful. Like I'm 16 years old. Like, I don't know where I want to spend the next four years. I didn't know what I was doing that weekend. Like yeah. it's ugh, one of the worst experiences of my life, but, um, so yeah. So into fair at, you committed at 16. Yeah. Wow. So mm -hmm. sophomore, junior. Yeah. End of sophomore. Well, beginning of junior verbal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, where else were you looking or who else, like, like what led you to Fairfield? I mean, obviously you wanted to get rid of the process or get through the process, but like, I had to imagine other schools were looking at you and wanted you. Yeah, I was looking at um, some schools in California. Um, Santa Clara was actually my number one. Oh. Um, and then Ole Miss, actually, I went on a visit there, which I really enjoyed. Um, but University of San Diego was one of my top choices. And I kept he, he kept saying he was waiting between a 15% scholarship and an 85% scholarship, which is like for a $50,000 a year school, like that's a ton of money. And he kept postponing it the next week. And so I'd lose another offer. He'd postpone it another week. I would lose two more offers because schools needed to know. And then he just, I never heard from him again. And that's how I ended up at Fairfield. Um, on a full ride. Yeah, full ride on Fairfield. Yeah. And that was one thing is everyone that I talked to was like, you don't want to have like college debt and like have to pay for that. So I was like, okay, I'll go to college for free. I did not know what I was in for. I'll tell you that much right now. <laughs> that's that's a, a huge factor that we talked about with Derek about when you, when you get a scholarship, you know, he, the particular thing he was talking about was how um, sometimes athletes will try to hold off for their number one school and like yep. what's happening to you, they'll lose opportunities. And, uh, you know, the idea that you come out of college debt-free, uh, you know, kid, kids at 18, 22 years old, they have no idea how big of a factor that is. You're basically, you're buying a house. 
Right. <laughs> well, and, and I think one of the things you touch on is like how the process went with you is that you're dealing with coaches who keep dangling this scholarship in front of you and you were losing offers waiting for another school. Right. Weekly you know? I was losing offers. It was like heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of the kids today, they don't understand this. It's like, I mean, this is a process and you know, the, the coaches are, the coaches are waiting for their top recruits to commit and they'll dangle scholarships in front of their backup recruits, their backup recruits um, as a care to keep them on the line. So kind of discuss that a little bit more in detail if you could. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that colleges, if you are a top recruit, like obviously Jim O'Brien, he was recruiting me very heavily. And I think that coaches, the ones that are like have good people skills, like can kind of sell ice to a Eskimo, is that the saying? Um, where like, you know, made me feel like I was going to change this program. And like, I'm sure that like clubs say that to, or colleges say that to a lot of people. And it gives kids these hope that they're going to be these valued players. And like, that's what you're kind of looking for when you're in high school and you get attracted to schools that are promising you that. Um, and I think that people kind of um, associate their worth with how much money a school is offering. Um, and so they're giving you all these insane offers. And then I, I don't know, for me, like it was, my parents were sitting me down and being like, what do you want in a school? Like, what do you want? And at the end of the day, I had no freaking idea. Like the coach that called me the most, I ended up going to like. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard enough to choose a major at 18, let alone choose a college at 16. Exactly. And like, I even worked with a guy that I'd go there every Sunday and I would call all my schools and leave a message and say like, hi, how are you? And like, and I still think that like, I, I don't know, I still had a bunch of trouble. So I don't know how kids are doing it without someone that's working them with them step by step. It's so stressful, like the size of the school, if they have the majors, where it is um, in the world, how far away you want to go from your family. There's so many aspects that you need to think about. And we're like in the prime of our freaking puberty teens. Like we don't care about that. We're like talking. I don't know. That's how I found it. <laughs> well, like you, like you said, you didn't even know what you were doing that weekend, much less what, where you wanted to be for the next four or five years of your life. Yeah. And also one thing for me is everyone that I talked to said, pick a school that if you tore your ACL the month before you went, you would enjoy. Mm. And guess what I did a month before my college career? I tore my ACL. Oh boy. <laughs> not, not at the school though. No, not at the school. But I'm, <laughs> yeah, not at the school. So did you, were you redshirt first year? Is that why you were there five years? Yeah. So I redshirted. I remember I was the day that I left to go to school. I had a knee brace from my, my whole leg. I bedazzled it. God knows why. So it was covered in gems. My boyfriend jumped me. <laughs> What's that? Cause you were 18. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was bedazzled. <laughs> yeah. And my boyfriend dumped me the day I flew over there and I didn't have soccer. I didn't have my family. I was alone in Connecticut. I came from a small farm town and I was in one of the bougiest towns, probably in America, without soccer, which is the one thing I went there for because it was what I loved more than anything. So, yeah. Yikes. so you come in, first year red shirting. Um, take us through that year because that was probably a lot of time with uh, Chris and myself. Yeah. Um, Honestly, that was one of the hardest years looking back on like my whole career was that just coming across the world and like 
you you join us you, you play sports in colleges because you have an immediate set of like friends and they feel like family but they don't really when you're on the sideline you just always feel like you're just sitting on the outside of like all the inside jokes and like all of like the fun stuff you know you're going in two times every week working with Chris and you and strength like I wouldn't be where I am today without you guys um that's for dang sure but um I remember just trying to fit in with the girls and never really feeling connected. And they just felt like they were from a whole different world, experiencing college way different than I was. Um, yeah, I don't know, it was really tough. I got to film the game from the top in the pouring down sideways rain. I was like, what am I doing here? So did you, did you have surgery? Yeah, I had surgery two months before my freshman year. Okay. Or a month before my freshman year. Which, uh, what, what, uh, process, what procedure did they do? I mean, did they do teletelegraph hamstring or a cadaver? I did hamstring, um, just cause I'd heard some not so great things about the other two at that time. Um, and I'm thankful I did because I haven't had any problems. So yeah, I know, knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> you know, injuries have a way of, uh, teaching you how to take care of your body better. Definitely. So, uh, Take us through that. Take us through how, I mean, did you, did you learn a lot during that time period when you were rehabbing? Yeah, I learned a ton. Um, I learned a lot about nutrition because right off the bat, I like lost like 25 pounds after my surgery, just because I think stress, but also just like lost all my muscles. So, so I think instead of the freshman 15, you, you went negative 25. I, I actually had the senior 15. <laughs> it's more like a senior. I wasn't there your senior year. No, <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> you uh, would have been shocked. But um, yeah, so I had to learn how to like build muscle and like kind of just taking away the thing that I love the most and taking care of my body. Um, so, so much strength, like all the stuff that I didn't know that I actually needed to do growing up. Um, but also mental health was huge for me. I think um, more important than anything my freshman year was just like trying to find other things in my life that I am one good at, but two enjoy because I couldn't go kick a ball yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm meeting people from a different planet. So, yeah. So was that basically your whole life up to that point? Soccer consumed everything? Yeah, totally. I did other sports in high school, but soccer was like what I always loved. And like, I knew that I wanted to keep doing it until I didn't love it. And I remember that actually the game that I tore my ACL, I was playing really bad and I was like, Oh, I just wish I'd get like, like hurt my toe or something because like, I'm not playing well. And then I started playing really, really well. And then I tore my ACL and I was like, what are the odds? Like the only time in my life I've wished I heard a toe and then I did my name. I was like, cool. So September you walk in, are you in a, in a cast on crutches? Is that how we're starting off? Um, I was in a full leg brace, um, but I couldn't go up and down stairs. I always had to take the elevator. Um, very immobile, very just fragile, I think in general. <laughs> yeah. Take us just kind of a generalization through that whole first year uh, of the recovery. So you start off September, you're in a cast and, you know, kind of take us through until the beginning of the next season. Yeah. So I remember going to our, um, the medical guy, Chris Hageman, shout out to him. He's amazing. Um, he became my best friend, honestly, like, That's hurtful. Um, what's that? <laughs> That's hurtful. <laughs> no, you obviously do, but I wasn't, I'm not at you yet. I was still just trying to be able to bend my knee. You came later. <laughs> Shout out to Hags, who's the basketball uh, athletic trainer up at Providence. Yeah, he um, yeah, he really pushed me, and he always kept – he always would, like, kind of like the recruiting thing, dangle what was next. Like, okay, well, now you're going to get the straightening, or now you're going to get bending, or when you get bending, then you can do walking without the brace, and then you can go to jogging. 
Um, then you can do squats and you can kick the ball, um, which I think is one thing that helped me get through the year was always having something to look forward to, you know, um, and always just having that, I'm going to run one day in the back of my head. Um, so I, I really didn't have a really strong connection with the team, which was really hard, but I did meet um, one friend that was outside of um, sports that like saved me. Um, thank goodness for her. And then Kelly Dunn. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I got into my strength and I was able to work with you spelling and more running and all of that stuff. And then I could kick a ball. Um, and then I was able to start non-contact after the end of the season. And that was like when things started to, there was a light at the end of the tunnel. I was like, I can beat this. Like I got this, like I'm, I missed it. I, I, oh, it's crazy how much you miss something when it's gone and you don't really realize that you will. Um, women's soccer, is that a fall sport? Yeah. Okay. So you're, so you were, so before the end of the season, you were already, you were walking, you were doing light running, you were working with Spellman already. And then mm -hmm. end yeah. season, you're going out with the team starting to kick the ball around a little bit. Yep. Yeah. So spring season, I was non-contact, but they were like, we're not going to have you play or do contact because there's no point before the next season. I'll just wait till then. You get to wear, you get to wear the, the pretty, the pretty penny and all the drills. Yeah, which I actually bedazzled that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm noticing a trend here, Nikki. Yeah, I lost my bedazzler, but I miss it. <laughs> um, what, at, what, at some point, did you start feeling stronger than you were previously? Yeah, and you start to happen? see your actual physical muscle. Um, that was probably when I started to kick a ball with Chris, I remember. And actually, we had another player, Froby. Um, she was a senior my freshman year, and she hurt her knee, so I had her to go through rehab um, together, and we always just motivated each other, which I think is really crucial. It's like to go through something like that with someone else. Um, but yeah, and I remember when I had my brace on, and I had to keep wearing it in games, and at like, I think we were like 30 minutes into the first half, and I was so over my brace. I was like cleared at this point, and I ran over to the sideline, and I ripped my brace off like really dramatically, and like chucked it on the sideline, and ran back in the game, and I was like, yeah, I'm free, like <laughs> super super dramatic but <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure chris was very happy that you did that yeah he wasn't at all how <laughs> <laughs> far um when did you start working with spellman um spellman was as soon as i could start i got my full motion back in my knee i believe was when i could start seeing him i remember um, oh, our, actually, i remember um a few other people who had lower extremity injuries you would you had a, all kinds of stuff they could do for upper body and uh, oh yeah my god i think i blocked that out until just now i like literally just had a flashback <laughs> no like i'm not kidding i literally just had a flashback of doing upper body with him and wanting to cry oh literally you you would do you would do the ones where it wasn't even weight it was just him pushing your hand down and you pushing and curling and like i'm literally sweating thinking about that <laughs> oh my god and i couldn't even wash my hair that, that day i couldn't even lift my hands up yeah we did a lot of those and a lot of arm bike super great well, unintended oh, yeah. consequence to our podcast is is therapy now we're bringing up repressed <laughs> memories yeah seriously i just had like a woof. By the way, for all for all those uh, athletes that want to fake injuries during their collegiate career, the arm bike is the great equalizer. Yeah, you don't do that it. Thing if, you're, if you're not injured, it's not worth it. Just play. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nikki, um, uh, where are you playing now? Um, right now, I am in Klepp, Norway. It's remember, it's southwestern Norway. Um, we were just about three days before our first game when lockdown hit. So we actually are. 
a little bit late, but we should be starting in two months. Or, yeah, two months. So it's a spring season. It's a spring into summer season? Yeah, it's supposed to go from March till November, but now it's going to go from July till the end of November. And are you playing as uh, same as many games in a compact schedule, or do they take off a number of games? Yeah, so we'll just we'll play each team twice. Uh, we're supposed to have like a month long break in July, which they're just canceling, and then they're just going to really compact the games. But we actually just heard about some of our quarantine lockdown, and like when season starts, we're only allowed to go to training and home. Uh, we actually can't even go to the grocery store, which I'm like, well. Someone's going to have to shop for us, but um, all the guidelines are super strict. Like we, after games, we have to like go to hotels and shower and like, we can't high five. Um, it's crazy that they're trying really hard to get us, give us the ability to play, which I think is really cool, but only because Norway's handled the whole thing. Now well. is that, is that team mandated or is that coming down from the league? Um, from the government. Okay. Yeah, so they're like everything's super strict. And like players that have like a job outside can't go to work. So they're covering their salaries for their jobs outside. And like the kids that might be in school can't go to classes. So it's literally we're just going to and from soccer. My dream. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been there? Um, I got here in February, beginning of Feb. And then um, during quarantine, I went to UK for seven weeks, actually, which flew by. But um, my partner's there, so hung out with her for a bit so this is your first year with the with the team in norway yeah um where were you before that what are the teams you played with and uh once you get through that take us through like the transition from college to professional what you did to try out or get recruited for it yeah so first um i played for the team out of new jersey called sky blue um and then i was there for four years and then i got traded to a team in chicago the chicago red stars where i was at the last two years um and shout out to megan young yeah shout out to mega she was our <laughs> there um well, sorry what was the question <laughs> um just take us through uh, all the teams that you you've played for professionally um and then just give us kind of a background the transition from college into professional you know you know, did you try out? Were you recruited? How did that whole process go? Okay. So, um, I also have played in Australia for four. So the way that the Australian league works, you go American league. And then in the four months off of the American league, the Australian women's professional league happens. So I did that for four years where I went American league to Australia for a team called Perth glory. Um, which is amazing because you're in Australia for four months in the summer, kicking a ball. Um, that was unbelievable. Um, I also played for about two months for a team in France, um, which was just like a lower division, just went to get games. Um, but yeah, and now I find myself in Norway, um, still kicking a ball, doing what I love. And I would say that um, my, I think that my path to pro is a lot different than a lot of people in the league because a lot of them got drafted or had big names. Um, I didn't, I went to Fairfield. Like I literally, one of the coaches of one of the teams was like, you went to Fairfield? I was like, yeah. Like it's, it's not a map that's on the collegiate level of women's professional soccer. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe one day, but it just wasn't when I was there. And I remember going to tryouts. Uh, there was one for the Portland Thorns. I was up in Philly and I went there and um, they're like, sorry, like, no. Then I went to the one in Boston and they're like, hey, you have potential, but we don't need your position. And each place that I went, like I would drive back from the thing and be like devastated. And I always questioned myself. I was like, am I good enough? Like, am I actually good enough? Or am I just like, like way out of my league? And I would like ask my mom that, ask my dad that ask like all my friends that and they're always like yeah you can but you know how like you just think everyone's supposed to say yeah like what is someone gonna say no Nikki you're not good enough 
Now, is this, this is the summer after you graduated? Um, so I had my fifth year of college. So it was my spring of my super senior year. So I was in grad school Okay. at that point, which also like literally I had a free fifth year of college and I went into our guidance counselor and said, what's your easiest graduate degree? <laughs> she said <laughs> communications. So I did communications, which I haven't finished. I'm a grad school dropout. Shout out. Um, Get that degree, right. baby priorities um <laughs> you can probably you can probably finish it up online i've actually already expired it. i only have five years to finish it i know i'm super upset about it but i've just been <laughs> and you'll travel the world playing soccer yeah i'll do that instead um get back to because this is the first i'm hearing about you having doubt about your soccer career I yeah mean, I've, always, I've always known you as being very self-confident and motivated and you know, your nickname is Goody for God's sake, which for those that don't know about it, because when you were being recruited by Jim, he's like, yeah, wait till you get, wait, wait till you get this uh, Goody. I'm like, who the hell is this? What the, uh, what? And he's like, yeah. I was like, what does Goody stand for? So Goody, get used to it, right? Yeah, it stands for get used to it. So give, give a little background on the nickname. Well, first off, I'm sure you were very pleasantly surprised when a 115-pound girl in a bedazzled knee brace walked into your gym. <laughs> it's me, Goody. <laughs> okay, we got some work to do. Yeah. Um, so when I was younger, I played up two years, and I was really, really small for my age, and I, I wasn't very good, so I just knocked people down, and they would be like, don't touch me, and I would say, get used to it. And then Excellent. when I went to my own age group, my coach had heard me say that for something and everyone had nicknames and he was like, we think you're going to be goody. And then I've kind of just like grown, grown to embrace it. Um, but actually, so there was one time when I was um, in like a, it's ODP Olympic development program. And I wasn't always like as tough as I, I, I kind of have made myself, but I was playing like, like a picking daisies, whatever. And then someone kicked a ball and it hit me in the stomach and knocked the wind out of me. And like, I swear to God, from that moment on, I have fire in my eyes. And like, I've completely changed him as a player because I started hitting people and the coaches loved it. They were like, your last performance in that game, like was unbelievable. It's the best we've seen you play. And like, now I've kind of grown into that. We're like, I literally lead the, Amer lead the American League in yellow cards. Like, I have You're going to have no problem making a transition to a self-defense or, or a martial <laughs> arts class. Perfect. I'll just like get my inner cootie and pretend I'm on a soccer field. <laughs> um, but no, that's kind of become my staple now is like I'm the hard tackler. I hit people. I'd never try and hurt people, but like I'm just like tough. I'm a – yeah, so get used to it. Awesome. Now Now going from college to professional, did you have to change positions? No, I actually stayed um, as just a defensive midfielder, kind of just right above the back line. Um, I just needed to get better at it. Okay. So, because uh, in, in college, weren't you more of a holding or attacking midfielder? Um, I was more holding. Sometimes Jim would tell me to go forward, but it always never felt right. I was like, just leave me here and I'll just pass the ball and hit people. It's fine. <laughs> Okay, so getting back to the whole process, going from uh, college to professional, you're going to these tryouts, coaches are telling you that, hey, this isn't working for you, you're, you're having some self-doubt, where do you go from there? So, yeah, um, then... I, I was in like a weird place, and again, I kept asking everyone, like, do you think I'm good enough, whatever, and then... I ended up going to this tryouts in Seattle 
Um, and in Seattle, they invited me to the preseason. So I was like, that gave me a little bit of hope. I was like, okay, like maybe I am good enough. And then after a month there, they're like, sorry, we don't have a roster spot for you. So I was back to where I was. And then um, one of my friends was like, there's a team in Jersey and they need your, need your position. And I remember on the flight over there just being like, I can like, it was just weird. Like, I don't know what you want to call it epiphany where I was like, you know what? Like I can fucking do this. Like, this is what I want to do. And like, I'm going to actually believe in myself instead of finding other people to ask if I am and like actually put 100% confidence in myself. Um, and I, went over there and I played in a scrimmage like two days later and the coach was like okay so see you at practice tomorrow and then like I just kept going to practices and he never really talked to me um but he never cut me so I was like I think I'm supposed to be here and then like um two months later he called me in his office and he was like we want to offer you a contract I almost passed out I was like can I give you a hug but I remember each day driving to training and being like I think he wants you here, but you want to be here. So go fucking like work your ass off and like earn it, you know? So you're, you're in a foreign land for two months, not getting paid. Uh, you, obviously you found housing somewhere and you're, you're just going to practice every single day, just seeing what's going to happen. Exactly. It was so like, I, so much unknown. Um, and actually one of the girls that played at Fairfield, Lexi Simon, I was living with her family. They like took me in completely. Um, and they were amazing. Uh, for two years I lived with them and when I was in Jersey, but yeah, I mean, it was just every day I would get up and I would drive an hour to training and like, not even know if he wanted me there, but I, he didn't tell me not to. So. <laughs> and then you were there, you were with the sky blue for four years. Yeah. So at the end of that year, he had a meeting and he was like, we're, we, we want you back next year. But I didn't know what that meant. Like I knew that I knew he wanted me to be there for preseason, but I didn't know I was getting paid the next year too. And then like a month in, I got my first paycheck and I was like, Oh my God, I'm still in contract. So if anyone's listening that wants to do this, make sure you ask your coaches what's going on because I wish I knew that. <laughs> make sure you're getting paid. Yeah, exactly. Make sure you're getting paid. But yeah. it's interesting, though, because, you know, just like when we were talking to Derek Needham, uh, his story kind of defies the um, the perception of what it is to become a professional athlete, which is you're, you're golden out of college. People are looking at you. You know, there's people waving money in contracts and sneaker endorsements in your face, which is totally not the case at all, no. except the, at all. the top, 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 top athletes. Now, do you have a do you have an agent that helps you? I mean, I don't I don't really even know how the professional women's soccer league goes about it. Obviously, the big stars are getting paid a fair amount of money, but like for yourself, like how do you the, is an agent calling teams for you because you were playing not only you know in the United States, but you were also playing in Australia, and then now you're playing in Europe. So how does how does a professional women's soccer player find all these different teams to play for and get paid and to make a living as a soccer player? Yeah. So I have an agent now. Uh, he helped me through the trade um, because I knew I wanted to be traded. And then he also helped me um, find Europe. But to get to Jersey, I just had a friend that said, email the coach, email the coach and kind of went there. And then to find Australia, I just made friends with Australians and they're like, do you want to come play for my team? So it's more just like through word of mouth, but I got in when they were still kind of asking, like, I guess less high profile players to play in Australia. Now it's a little bit harder to get, but um, 
but yeah, I, I would say that you don't really need, an, you don't need an agent. Um, it's nice to have now if you want to go through a trade. Um, but yeah. But you got to have people skills. It seems like you had to do a lot of networking to, to be able to, to get those opportunities. Yeah, for sure. And, and you were persistent. Yeah. And that's one thing is like, I kept showing up to practice and like, it was me and like, there's probably six or seven of us that weren't on contracts and a lot of them were drafted, but like in women's soccer, if you don't get drafted, it doesn't mean anything. It honestly doesn't. It's a fancy invite to preseason. You're not guaranteed a contract. And so, and I learned, I didn't know that. So I thought these players are so much better than me. And then competing against them every day, I was like, no, like we're all in this like together and we're all just coming to work and doing whatever we can. And then I actually ended up beating them all out for a contract. And I'm this little nobody from Fairfield. You know what I mean? And it's like, I believed in myself and I like embraced like my inner goody and like started hitting people at training and the coaches loved it. Like they were like, oh my God. And then I got signed a couple weeks later and it's like, oh, I just focus on what I'm good at. And like, actually, I don't know. It was, yeah. So draft doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, you were goody and you were hitting people pre Spellman, but once you met Spellman, did that kind of supercharge that ability? <laughs> of course. Well, I also had <laughs> giant arms because I was doing um, murderous arm workouts. <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs> I see your Instagram now taking pictures after you working out with no shirt on. Flexing. It was hot. <laughs> um why don't you take us all the way back um tell us about when you you know when you started playing sports whether that was soccer or something else what other sports you played along the way i know that you mentioned you played multiple sports in high school um and when you you first started working out you know did you did you do weight training and strength conditioning pre-college or not until you got there yeah, so I started soccer when I was younger just because my brother played it and I wanted to fit in. Um, and then it kind of, I just was like naturally like good at it, I guess. And I was like, when you're a kid and people are telling you good job, you want to keep doing it because you want to keep hearing people say good job, you know. Um, and then, um, again, I played up two years and then joined my own age group. Um, and it's funny how like strength training wasn't really a thing when I was younger. Um, in high school, we did it a couple of times, not until college did I actually learn the benefits of like actually lifting weights. Um, but even in high school, I did gymnastics for a couple of years, um, which we had to do a lot of strength, more strength training for that, but more just like stuff in the gym, which I think is super random. If you can picture me in a leotard dancing around, flaunting glitter in my hair, it's kind of weird. But, that's um, where the bedazzling comes from. Yeah, that's where the bedazzling yeah, comes from. Now it all makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I remember coming from soccer practice, like drenched in sweat, and then they'd my teammates would hand me my leotard and then put glitter in my hair and put hairspray on my butt to keep my leotard there. And I was like, <laughs> what is, this is the weirdest thing. <laughs> um, but I think that that helped me keep the love in soccer because it wasn't just soccer every single day, every single minute. It was, hey, I have soccer five days a week in a game, but I also get to go play gymnastics or I play tennis. I did track. I did volleyball in middle school. And I think that that kept me not getting burnt out from soccer. Um, and I was just kind of cross training and learning different skills. And I don't know, I think it, I think a lot of nowadays it's very just like one sport every single minute of the day. And I think people might get burnt out. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, so I, yeah, again, not really strength training until later, which I wish I did more back then. Cause I think it, like it could benefit anyone. So, so was it, did you do any in high school or was it not until you got to college? Yeah, not really until college. 
No, but I was the strongest I've ever been during gymnastics, but just because I was trying to do flips and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And um, is, I mean, in, in general, all the other sports you played, you think it contributed to your ability to play soccer. Is there any sport in particular that has a direct translation over into soccer that you did? Not that I can really think of, no. I think, I mean, maybe if anything, track. I yeah. think track, I learned how to fix my running form, even though running form, chasing a ball isn't the same as not. But I think that I did get to work on my, like, actual speed there, mm -hmm. which was helpful. I think all the sports, I mean, if, you, if you're taking tennis, gymnastics, volleyball, I mean, I think they all come, and track, I think they all combined probably helps you with soccer. I mean, you have the, the quick movement that you need for volleyball and track or uh, volleyball and tennis, and then you have the, uh, you know, the, the running for a uh, track, and they all come together to make you the soccer player that you are now. So Yeah, I, I also left out basketball, but I fouled out every game in middle school, so I decided to not do that in high school. I was like, I've had enough. Five fouls is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I was a basketball player, and um, I coached uh, – I've been coaching my son's team the last two years, and uh -huh. this past year we had a kid on the team – who uh, I didn't know until later on, but I think his main focus was soccer. He played a lot of uh, different sports, but his main focus was soccer. And he was one of the bigger kids on the team. So when uh, he started, I had him at center. But as the season went along and I got to see his skills, he ended up playing point guard a couple games because his ability to uh, cut quickly allowed him to get past defenders off the, off the dribble. And I could totally tell that it was from, from soccer because he would have right. these short, real choppy movements like he was dribbling a soccer ball and trying to go past the defender. Those same movements translated over in the basketball while he was dribbling. And it was really interesting to see. Yeah, I think it's interesting that he like showed one skill and then you're like, I think you'd be good at that because I think it's interesting how players do become the position they are like it could be just that one instant where someone noticed that one skill and they say okay you're going to play that position um i think that's very interesting yeah if you could go back and tell your younger self some advice what would it be <sighs> okay so obviously you can, go, you can go as early as middle school what would you tell middle school high school and college nikki <laughs> oh, no. uh, I know that one thing that I would want to tell every age Nikki is to just believe in yourself um, it took me until I was in my fifth year of college to actually have like real true genuine confidence in myself um, so that's what I would say and don't go to other people for like what's the word affirmation um, don't go to Google affirmation, just like believe that you can actually do it. And I think that people would be surprised at what they can actually do without self-doubt. Um, self-doubt in my life has been probably my biggest enemy is after a training, if I make too many mistakes, I beat myself up over it. Um, so just try and avoid that and just be like, Hey, you're there for a reason. You're doing whatever you're doing for a reason. Um, and my other thing would probably be to live in the moment. Um, I found myself looking back in high school and being like, oh, I wish I did this differently or that differently. And then even at Fairfield, I was like, I wish that I did things a little bit differently at Fairfield. Um, and then 
and then even now, like even for instance, this quarantine, I'm like, I want to leave this quarantine knowing that I've done everything that I could. And so that I'm not looking back on Fairfield and being like, Hey, I didn't get to know that person, or I didn't take that class, or I didn't go to that one party or whatever it is that you, that, you know what I mean? Just like try and actually just sit down and stop thinking of the future because that's what I was always doing is where am I going to go to college? Where am I going to go pro? Where am I going to go next in the country? But like actually be in the moment. And I don't know, that's, it might sound cliche, but that's two things in my life that I wish I would have changed. So you said that it took you about your fifth year in college to get that idea to believe in yourself. Do you think mm -hmm. that came just from experience and success and, and kind of gaining confidence over time? Or was it a decision that you made? I think it was, um, I don't want to sound cocky, but I was, I was really good. I was the best player on my high school team. I was the best player on my club team. I was one of the best players in my college team. Like I had people telling me I was good. And then finally I had people telling me, Hey, guess what? You're actually not good enough to play on this team. And that was like, a, I was like, wait, what do you mean? Like, I've always just been good enough. Um, and I think that that made me sit down and realize, um, like really just start to doubt myself and then to have to learn how to believe in myself again. Yeah, that, and that's surprising for me because you always came across as being very confident and sure of yourself. So to hear you say that you had self-doubt, I was like, hmm, yeah. didn't really, you know, and as, as one of your coaches and, and, you know, speaking to young athletes, it's like, you don't know what's really going on inside of your athletes. You, you need to get to know them and have those open and honest conversations with them so that they feel confident about coming to you and being able to talk about anything. Right. You know, uh, you know I, 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 I think the things that you've said of, about, you know, living in the moment, especially during this pandemic, where a lot of people aren't living in the moment and they're seeing the negative side of the pandemic instead of, you know, what I've said is look at it as an opportunity to get better or try something that you've never tried, you know, try and come out of it better than you, you were before. Exactly. Yeah. And like reaching out to people you think you need to hear it or like I've picked up knitting. I like I'm juggling tennis balls. Like, I don't know, just like stuff like that. But also um, to your other point, I remember it was my senior year and we were doing one of your dreadful circuits at six o'clock in the morning. And I was on that Jacob's ladder, which is still again, PTSD, oh, man, <laughs> like the worst thing ever. You couldn't pay me to get on one of those. And I remember I was doing it and you were like 30 more seconds and you were like, do you want to be on the all Mac team? Do you want to be on the team? And like, I, I never really, I, that I, I never thought that that was really a possibility and someone put that thought in my head and I was like, I guess, yeah, I can, I can do that. Like, yeah, I, I do want to do that. You know, I was kind of just coasting through college and like playing well and people telling me I was good. But then when Spellman like put that thought in my head, I was like, let's like, let's go. Like, and then I made it. <laughs> do you still hear Mark yelling at you in your head? You gotta go. <laughs> you gotta go. <laughs> I remember there was one hill sprint workout that he made us do and literally someone passed out in my arms at the top of the hill. She <laughs> fell over in my arms. People were throwing up. I was like, what is this? It was six in the morning. And I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> was I was on was I on my bike or was I in the golf cart? You're in the golf cart. You gotta go. <laughs> the tour to Fairfield. That was still to this day is the hardest workout I've ever done. The hills? 
Yeah, it toured, yeah, literally, I think there was like three or four hills you made us do. You made us do the library one like 10 times. Yeah, each hill, each hill got bigger and we started with the smallest. Yeah. So we went small hill 10 times, medium hill 10 times, and then the big hill 10 times. And if it was, uh, if it was because you young ladies were misbehaving, we then would go and do some 400s on the track. Yeah, we did that. For time. So you guys probably did something wrong. Obviously. I mean, it was probably powder puff or clam jam or one of those. Never me, Spelly. You know me. I was an angel. <laughs> oh, you still are an angel. Yeah, I still <laughs> am an angel. I get in no trouble. <laughs> so what's your, um, what's your strength and conditioning uh, 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 program look like now? And is it um, self-induced or do you have someone that's guiding you? Um, I've actually been doing it all kind of on my own and taken what has worked for me in the past. Here in Norway, it's really interesting, but I've learned that strength and conditioning and like metabolic isn't really like, I guess, emphasized on. Um, so I, some of the things that they're having us do, I know isn't going to work for my body and I does, I can't wrap my mind around how that's helpful to certain athletes. You mean like in, in, the, in the team, in the, in the professional soccer league, it's not, the strength and conditioning medical is not... Yeah, just definitely not what I'm used to. Like, it's interesting the amount of people here that you, that have a hamstring strain and it, they've been out for three months. Or the amount of people that you say, oh, what happened? He goes, I had to retire because I hurt my knee. And you say, what happened? He goes, they don't know. And it's like, what do you mean you don't, they don't, like, I feel like it's just not emphasized to work on your, like, sports science, which so is kind of scary for me because I'm praying that I stay healthy. But, um, so I've just like been- Norway needs some Spellman. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, it's like scary. And like, um, I remember we went to, we were in Spain for a little preseason game and it was our tournament and it was, we trained a double day the day before the game. We trained the day of the game, a full session. Then we played a game. And then the next day we had a full body lift. And then that evening we had a full session. Um, not one, not one for recovery, huh? I know. And so I was like, well, I'm 29. I was like, I, and like, I'm, I'm not getting angry about it anymore. I'm just letting them know that I respectfully decline doing some of the things that they're asking me to do. But. And what, what, what's, uh, because, you know, obviously playing in the United States in the professional league, sports science, strength and conditioning, uh, this country's pretty much got a pretty good grip of it. And so, so does Australia. So and good. so does Australia. Yeah, um, absolutely. So and you're going from, you're going from two settings that understands the importance of monitoring. I would assume probably uh, with Chicago, I mean, you were wearing a polar heart monitor, a catapult system and yeah. Megan and the uh, sports medicine people would probably talk with the coaches on a daily basis on your readiness and your recovery for all the players and the training sessions would be um, changed accordingly to what the players could handle. Now you're in a situation where you're telling the coach, yeah, I'm not, I can't, I'm not doing that. So how does that, <laughs> yeah, like, how does that, how does the, how does, how does a professional coach take one of his players saying, um, and it, to be fair, they, they take it very well. Um, I think, like I'm one of the older, more experienced players here, um, and so they're like, they're fine with it. <laughs> and I think I think it's a huge, a huge point for all the younger athletes. Like as you get older and know your body more, you need to you need to be an advocate for yourself. 
Right. Like a coach is there, a coach is there to win games. Like mm-hmm. that's their job. But like if you know your body better, which you should know by the time you're 29, I mean, you know what works best for you and what's going to put you in the best position to succeed. Yeah, exactly. And I also think like in the NWSL, it's a lot more high stress, um, more competitive atmosphere to the point where like I would be afraid to tell my coach I was injured or I would be afraid to ask to step out because I would think that would be a sign of weakness. Um, And just like all around, like the mental state during the NWSL is a lot different than here. Whereas now, like I'm in a place where I feel comfortable saying, hey, guess what? I like am hurt or yeah. I don't know. I remember in at Fairfield, actually, it was my first game, first full real college game back after my ACL. And I blocked a shot and like, I really hurt my foot. And I remember you still, when you were like, well, like, are you, when I, I came back, you're like, were you okay? I was like, I don't, I don't know. And I just played on it because I was like, it's my first game. It's my first season back. Like I have to play. It's not an option. Like I'll play, I'll tape it up. I'll take whatever. And then after season, I got an x-ray and I had a broken bone in my foot all season. <laughs> but I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to sit out. I was just out for a year. It's like. Yeah. I think, you know, sports in general and probably particularly American sports are geared for that where, you know, you, you push yourself. There's, there's, you know, you, you, you don't pay attention to those, um, uh, you know, those ticks that your body are, is, is giving you, those signs that it's showing you. Um, and I, I think, you know, after my time in martial arts and Mark, I think this is the reason why a couple podcasts ago, you mentioned that martial arts is going to be a staple that you would have your kids do throughout their athletic career. Things like martial arts and yoga start from a point of going inside and learning your body and listening to those cues where you don't get that in, in regular sports. And I think it's incredibly important for kids who are starting, whether it's, you know, grammar school, middle school, or or even high school to, to, to do a martial art or yoga or some, that type of modality where you're learning how to take care of your body. I wish I had that when I was in college, you know, I, I played basketball in college and I was hurt all the time and I didn't get into martial arts till afterwards. And that's when I started really to learn to, to know my body. And if I had that, you know, early on, you know, maybe my career would have been different. I wouldn't have as, as many injuries, who knows, but that's, that's what I, that's my instincts on, on the situation. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that both of those give you more awareness of your body, which I think in like, sports sometimes just throwing your body around if it hurts you hope it gets better whereas yeah. i think that those give you more of like a grasp of your movements in your body so absolutely I think you might remember this it might have been your junior year we started to incorporate yoga with uh with the women's soccer team yeah and, and genie yeah genie especially preseason and like oh yeah genie a bunch of you all were like Oh my God. Yeah. I remember I actually get flashback. This is a good one. (laughs) (laughs) But like a lot of you didn't like it. Like, like, you know, the feedback I got from you was like, why are we doing this? Sorry. My internet's bad. I was like, it's, it's going to help you. Like, I mean, to your point, it's like, you can't, you can't always hammer the nail. Like you need to take time and let the body recover and not only the body, but the mind. And you all were like, ah, we don't like it. I was like, okay. I mean, I guess, I guess we'll run instead. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. I was one of the ones that was bitching about it. 
Oh, I know. <laughs> I think you bitched to me about it. <laughs> what, why is yeah. that? Was it, it was just kind of a lack of understanding of it at, at that point? Or is it something you still don't like? Um, I got into it actually in my fifth year um, of college, but I just remember that year, like not, not seeing the benefits, not understanding why I need to go hold these stretches for so long. Like I'm healthy. I'm fine. Like, let's go kick a ball. Let's run. If I'm not feeling pain, I'm not getting fitter. I'm not benefiting myself. Um, but now I definitely see the benefit of it. Um, and I actually enjoy it. It's, mm. it's, I feel like, I don't know, like you, a college kid that wants to just kick a ball, you know, to have them sit down and like find almost stick for me. <laughs> and as I was probably such a bitch to you about that yoga, I apologize. I mean, once again, I mean, I'm, I'm taking an 18, 22 year old person who in her own, her own words, I just want to go kick a ball. Um, yeah. So, you know, trying to expose you to something new. I mean, it's part of the college experience and hopefully, I mean, hopefully now at 29, you're, you're hopefully incorporating some of that, uh, meditation yoga into your daily and weekly practice to uh, take care of yourself. Yeah, you learn how essential it is in your aging body. So, what's so the we, future hold for Nikki Stanton? There we go. Uh, I don't know. Can you tell me? Um, nah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I decided I'm going to play in therapists I, and fortune tellers. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> please. Um, so I have told myself that I'm going to play soccer until either one, I don't love it anymore, or two, my body doesn't let me anymore. Um, until, and right until now, the I, wheels fall off. Yeah, exactly. And as of now, I still love it more than anything. Like, honestly, it's, I'm so happy with where I am right now. Um, and my body's still trucking. So I would like to finish out this year in Norway. Um, I don't know if I'll try and play another season overseas or if I will go back to the NWSL. Um, I personally think the NWSL is the most competitive league in the world right now for women's soccer and um, I think I have a lot of, to prove there. I had a really tough year my last year in Chicago um, just with my self-confidence and actually feeling like really questioning my worth as a player um, which is why I kind of came overseas to kind of re-spark a little bit of love and realize that I am here for a reason um so yeah i would like to go back to the individual at some point um maybe probably closer to home would be preferably because i've been home since, away from home since 2009 so mm -hmm. um how about you know like coaching or something like that is that what you see transitioning to or you're not sure yet at first i thought so i was like yeah cool but now i don't think so <laughs> i just like <laughs> i mean i get that maybe a personal training it's because I really do like working with kids that really want to be there. Um, I find that really enjoyable and I do find it with younger kids, but I think I might get over that a little bit. Um, but I don't know. My mom's always like, what are you going to do after soccer? And I'm like, I haven't, I honestly don't know. I want to do something where I help people. So. Nice. Awesome. Well, I think, uh, you know, you look at it and I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh, you look at, all the different things that you have done and are still doing. Um, I think, you know, people don't understand like what it is. I mean, you've seen coaches on all different levels. You've seen the highest of highs and, and, and probably the, the worst of the worst. Um, so being a coach would probably be something I could definitely, I could definitely see you being like a youth coach. Like, yeah, I could, I like kids. I also literally have like, 
like the worst experiences with some coaches. Like you said, the worst, like, and like two of them came right to my mind and I'm like, that is like a traumatizing thing. And like, I'm like, that's just, I'm like scared of that. Hopefully I wasn't one of them. No, definitely not. You have, <laughs> no, definitely not. I see, I see the, the, the meaning behind all of what, what you did back then. I'm yeah, the time might have given you sass, but I feel I was pretty well behaved for the most yeah, part. Yeah, no, you were. I mean, you, you, I never, we usually end this with like, with uh, Derek, your three, your three best Spellman stories. This is the moment or I like the best. Or worst. Yeah. Chris, Chris is a fan of this. Best or worst. <laughs> However you want to take it. Okay. Well, one just came into my head, but I don't know if it's appropriate. So I'll tell you guys after we stop recording. <laughs> um, I think the most memorable one. Um, would probably be the one where I was on Jacob's ladder. Like, I think he really instilled a lot of like confidence and belief in myself in that moment. And like really pumped me up for that season and just kind of gave me that I had something to prove. Um, let's see, best Spelman stories. I honestly, nothing in particular comes to like um, in his advice, but I remember going into your office Spelman and like bringing up maybe a small issue and you always finding the broader picture about it, um, which I don't know if you knew that, but you were kind of like a little bit of a scary athletic training um, therapist. Not an athletic trainer, a strength and conditioning coach. Strength and conditioning, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, and God, I have so many just like memories of you like making a run. And you gotta go. You gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> And I think the fact that you had to up one, of, one of your teammates to the to the finish line is pretty significant. I, I, I honestly, that, that was like to this day, that's my hardest workout. I remember we were we weren't even on the tenth one, and and Spellman just like wasn't even phased. He just goes, "That was eight, like another one." And I was like, "Oh my god!" And like someone's puking on the sidelines, and I was like, "We're gonna go." And then after that, he did make us do four hundreds around the track. <laughs> I was like, "No, I think we're done. I'm pretty sure we're done. We weren't done." Well, I mean, you, you you play a sport where you have to run for ninety minutes. Yeah, but mostly it's just flat. No, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you can run uphill, I mean, imagine how much easier it is to run fl on a flat surface. Yeah, it was easier as my legs were, <laughs> but yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's leave it there. Nikki, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been uh, this has been one of the best podcasts we've had so far. I think. <laughs> of the other of the other one <laughs> oh, come on we got a bunch of them you gotta listen we, we've got okay. a we've got a bunch of good ones but this was uh this is good I, I was a little apprehensive uh you know because this is the first time that we had this is only the second time we had guests so you know I, i've never done this before mark's never done it but uh it was very it was very smooth we had uh good talks, good Spellman stories. And I think there's a lot of content there for uh, kids who want to play college or, or professionally. Good. Yeah. I mean, I know that it sounds so cliche to be like, believe in yourself. And I wish that when I was growing up and people said, believe in yourself, I actually listened to, like actually sat back and thought, Oh, believe in yourself instead of thought, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's so meaningful to actually have belief in yourself. I I'm like, what's me to myself? I'm like, you sound like an inspirational poster, but it's true. Like, <laughs> believe in yourself and live in the moment. So cliche, but so true. Well, and awesome. also, and also, get through the hard times. I mean, you got you got through some hard times, and you dealt with some hard things in your collegiate career, and 
on the other end of it, you came out and you've been a professional soccer player for the last eight years. Yeah. You know, not many people can say that. Yeah. And I love it. And one of my other words of advice to anyone going through recruiting process is listen to your parents sit down. They want what's best for you. They're not trying to nag you. They're trying to help you pick out all the different variables that are going to essentially be in the next four or five years of your life. So listen to them. And they could see things that you can't because they've been through a lot of stuff you have no idea about. 100%. Listen and to your parents. Literally. No, I'm being so genuine. I freaking moved across the country and I cried every day. <laughs> I literally told my parents, like, they're, she's like, you'll be back in four years. I'll be like, well, now five, but now it's been 11. So <laughs> one day. Awesome. All right. Well, good luck to you this year. Put up some big yeah. stats so we could all see it. And yeah, uh, will, you, will you come back yeah. on the show again? Oh my God. Yeah. I had actually so much fun. This is my, actually I did one other podcast, but this is like my first like real podcast. Yeah, you had really like fun. an IG takeover. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I was trying to find it, but they didn't like the women that the, the, the IG that you took over didn't like, I couldn't get to it. Oh, weird. I wanted to see a day in the life of, of Goody. It's pretty crazy. Really wild, especially a quarantined athlete in Norway that can't leave her house. <laughs> but no, seriously, thank you. I had a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. And all our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel uh, that's going up that's starting to load some of our past podcasts on. Uh, that's uh, the Athlete Hackers channel. And, uh, and if, you have, if you have any questions or any topics that you want to discuss, you can reach at us at info at athletehackers.com. And if you like our interviewing ability, let us know if you want to come on too. <laughs> All my best. God bless. Stay safe, everybody. Peace.